Today on the Matt Walsh Show, a snowstorm caused some problems for world leaders on their way to a climate summit to talk about the dangers of global warming. The irony is obvious and hilarious, but the underlying agenda isn't nearly as funny. Also, a new study shows that patients who get quote-unquote gender-affirming care still struggle with mental problems after this treatment. No surprise there. And a trans YouTuber tries to shame a guy at a pizza shop for misgendering him. Plus, a black journalist writes a lengthy article recounting all of the racism he has allegedly experienced over the years. It's incredibly whiny and self-pitying, even by the media standards. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. As the holiday season unfolds, it's a time of joy, gratitude, and reflection. In the midst of the festivities, consider taking a moment to reflect on the digital footprint that accompanies you throughout this season. Think about all the information on your phone, from anything you search, your location, to the websites you shop at, and more. Companies can then legally gather this information and sell your data for profit. That's why you need to do what I do and keep your data private with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app on your phone or computer that encrypts all of your online traffic, so whatever you do stays private. If you think incognito mode will stop people from tracking your online activity, think again. When you read the fine print that appears when you start browsing in incognito mode, it says that your activity might still be invisible to your employer, your school, or your internet service provider. Without ExpressVPN, every site you visit could be logged by the admin of that network. We love using ExpressVPN because of how easy it is to use. The app has one button. Once you turn it on, you're protected from prying eyes. It's as simple as that. The Daily Wire has partnered with ExpressVPN to get you a special holiday offer. Go to expressvpn.com slash Walsh right now and get three extra months free. That's expressvpn.com slash Walsh, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Walsh, expressvpn.com slash Walsh to learn more. Also, if you haven't uh, seen Lady Ballers from The Daily Wire, you're missing out on the most triggering comedy of the year. It's the biggest launch in Daily Wire history, and you can watch exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. Not a member? Well, luckily for you, with code COACH, you can become a part of the Daily Wire Plus team and save $50 on new annual memberships. Now, it's common knowledge at this point that pretty much every prediction that's ever been made by climate activists has turned out to be completely false. But for the most part, all along, there's one thing these activists have been smart enough to do which is they, they've typically made predictions that were pretty far out into the future. They didn't say anything that could be proven wrong you know, within a couple of months. They knew uh, enough to create some distance between their prediction and the day that you could theoretically point to that prediction and say, well, that didn't pan out. And there are a lot of examples of this phenomenon. There's uh, Leonard Nimoy, a.k.a. Mr. Spock, claiming in a 1978 television special that, quote, during the lifetime of our grandchildren, Arctic cold and perpetual snow could turn most of the inhabitable portions of our planet into a polar desert. Now, that TV special was called The Coming Ice Age, and of course, by the time Mr. Spock's prediction was falsified, uh, he was near death, so no one was going to hold him accountable or say, I told you so, when he was on his deathbed, which I guess is sort of understandable. Then there was that infamous 1989 article from the Associated Press citing a senior UN environmental official saying that, quote, Entire nations could be wiped off the face of the earth by rising sea levels if the global warming trend is not reversed by the year 2000. Now, again, they're putting some distance between the prediction and the time when you can prove that the prediction was wrong. A NASA scientist did the same thing in 2006 when he told NBC News that, quote, the world has a 10-year window of opportunity to take decisive action on global warming and avert catastrophe. 
More recently, of course, Greta Thunberg got in on the action in 2018 when she uh, claimed that, quote, a top climate scientist is warning that climate change will wipe out all of humanity unless we stop using fossil fuels over the next five years. Now, in all these cases, the climate predictions weren't even close to being true. Reality disproved all of them. But it took time for these predictions to age out and become clearly false. Most cultists are smart enough to design their claims so that they sound highly alarming at the time. And then by the time that you can validate those claims years later, most people have forgotten about the whole thing. And they've moved on to making different claims that are farther in the future still. A couple of months ago, there was a very notable exception to this general rule. There was a cult leader who slipped up and made a prediction that could be proven wrong very quickly. I'm talking about the prediction from uh, our climate czar, John Kerry, and here's what he said this summer. The, the climate crisis is growing by the day. You just saw and have reported on what happened in New York. All around the world, there are record-breaking days where the heat is greater than it's ever been before. This will be the hottest June and July. It'll be the hottest summer. It'll be the hottest year. And we all know that because the science is telling it to us and because Mother Earth is responding by telling us exactly what's going on. Now, we've already established in the past that, uh, of course, it, it was never going to be true that it's the hottest year on record. That's an absurd claim. Uh, or even, you know, what they've actually said is it's the hottest year period for the planet Earth, which even if that was true, there'd be no possible way to, uh, to, to verify that because we don't have records of what the temperature was on a daily basis going back thousands and millions of years. But if you try to fact check that claim from John Kerry, you'll find a bunch of articles declaring that he was right. They'll say this is indeed the hottest year ever. And, that's, uh, and it's all because Mother Earth doesn't like your truck or your grill or the way you vote. None of these articles will mention the recent volcanic eruption in the Pacific Ocean, which we've talked about that blasted a huge plume of water vapor into the atmosphere. They won't tell you how that likely trapped heat and raised the global temperatures. Instead, they'll blame you for all the heat. And what's funny about this premise is that if we accept it as completely true for the sake of argument that humans uh, caused all this, then humans must also be responsible for the extremely cold temperatures that are also being recorded this year. In some cases, we're being told record cold temperatures. Turns out, uh, it hasn't been hot everywhere, contrary to what John Kerry says. So take a look at what's happening in Europe right now. According to an article from yesterday in Reuters, for example, quote, temperatures in Siberia dipped to minus 56 Celsius as record snow blankets Moscow in the Russian capital. Some of the biggest snowfalls ever seen on, seen on December 3rd left swaths of Moscow blanketed in drifts of more than 35 centimeters of snow in just one day. Now, most of uh, Central and Eastern Europe was uh, like that last week. They've never seen snow like this in recorded history. This is supposedly the hottest year ever recorded, and they're experiencing record snowfall. But it gets better, because if you want decisive proof that irony is still alive, despite every effort by the left to quash it forever, here it is. The snow was so bad last week that in Munich, the airport was completely covered in snow. Private planes were immobilized, and in some cases, frozen in what looks like a kind of a takeoff position because snow stacked up on their tail sections. And reportedly, some of these planes were supposed to head to the uh, COP28 climate summit, which is underway right now in Dubai. So you couldn't script it any better. Here's what the airport looked like in Munich just a couple of days ago. So private jets are frozen on their way to the climate summit where the owners of the jets want to lecture you about the evils of global warming. 
It's kind of like, uh, you know, it's like a dietitian being late to a weight loss seminar because his car broke down in the Taco Bell drive-thru. Uh, it's just too much irony. The climate evangelists have gone full circle once again, headlong into self-parody. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, even though it kind of ruins the joke, I should clarify that uh, this particular plane that you saw in the video, that, you know, it's been making the rounds on social media, um, that uh, we don't know for a fact whether that particular plane was heading to the COP28 summit. According to some internet sleuths who looked at this aircraft and its registration number, it was parked for several days before this storm arrived, so we don't really know. But we can assume, given the wide impact of this torrential snowstorm all across Europe, that some travel plans for this COP28 summit were indeed disrupted. And that is, among other things, both deeply ironic and uh, extremely hilarious. It's also not the first time something like this has happened. In fact, it's happened quite a bit. You can go all the way back to March of 2009 when uh, these nutjobs were still using the term global warming instead of climate change. And they held a big rally in the nation's capital. They were there to complain about how hot the world was getting because apparently warming climates is always a bad thing, even though it often makes it easier to farm in huge portions of the world and has many other benefits, but never mind that. These uh, climate activists gathered in Washington, D.C. to send the message that the world was getting way too hot. And uh, if, if you don't recall this, right on cue, a historic snowstorm completely shut down the whole protest. Let's uh, watch that and remember together. On behalf of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi and Democratic leadership, I want to say thank you for bringing the reinforcements around the country so we can get the job done this year. How come we can't do this event in August when it's nice and warm out? I have no answer for that question. Do you, th do you think we should try to make this event like in August when it's really warm? Well, August no. in D.C. is pretty miserable as That's well. what I'm saying. So then you could convince every congressman to support global warming legislation. Don't you think that they should maybe uh, do this in more temperate climates? <laughs> well, it was warm when we got here. Right. And I would hope that our politicians really understand that weather is different from climate. Right. And just because you have a snowstorm doesn't mean that global warming isn't happening. But you have to admit it sort of screws up the photo up it a little bit. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> ironic. Do you think it'd be a better idea to do this in August? <laughs> I mean, it's burning in August in D.C. And so we're used to this weather. I that the majority of these people are, um, are actually happy about the weather because then it, it gives them an opportunity to show how, you know, devoted they are to the cause. There was so much snow that the solar panels on Greenpeace's truck were totally snowed over. So the solar panels on the Greenpeace truck, which read, America can stop global warming, uh, were frozen over. I guess proving that we can. I don't know. And it's a remarkable clip for so many reasons. For example, you also heard the now familiar retort from one of the climate activists in that clip, and she insists that, quote, weather is different from climate. Just because you have a snowstorm doesn't mean the warming isn't happening. That's an important line, and again, a very familiar one. We hear this all the time now, that weather is not the same as climate. So when they talk about climate change, you can't, it's not about weather. But that's totally false, of course. The, the, the uh, literal dictionary definition of climate is the weather conditions prevailing in, a, in an area in general over a long period. That, so that's, climate is the prevailing weather conditions. That's what the climate is. So saying that weather is different from climate, is like saying water is different from H2O. It just doesn't even make any sense. And to the extent that it does make sense, it's not true. And you can tell the woman doesn't really believe it. You can tell she has no idea what, it, what it's supposed to mean because she laughs 
you know, uh, a few seconds later about what she's saying. But it lets her reconcile the fact that her beliefs are being contradicted by reality right in front of her. Gives her something to say in a desperate attempt to avoid complete humiliation. And that clip, in retrospect, belongs in kind of a time capsule because it marked one of the last times that climate activists would ever talk about global warming with a straight face again. That was sort of the end of global warming, unofficially. And they transitioned very soon afterwards to exclusively talking about climate change instead of global warming. And the reason is obvious. Climate change gives them a catch-all that they can always blame in any context. They don't have to risk any more embarrassing photo ops where they're whining about global warming as they're being pummeled by snow. When the villain is climate change, then you can complain whether it's hot or snowy or doesn't matter. Whatever's happening, it proves your claim. That's the advantage of talking about climate instead of warming. Climate change is proven no matter what happens. It is unfalsifiable, which is also why it's false. Unfalsifiable theories are uh, at best useless theories, but are also false. So this is how it's gone. From ice age to global warming to climate change, getting broader and less specific with each change. According to NASA, quote, global warming became the dominant popular term in June 1988 when NASA scientist James E. Hansen testified to Congress about climate, specifically referring to global warming. But then people started to notice that it was getting colder than it had ever been before. In 1994, for example, the Midwestern and Eastern portions of the country experienced a cold wave that caused more than 100 deaths. The country saw its coldest temperatures in nearly a century. So once again, the lexicon had to change. As CNN reports, the term climate change, quote, became more popular in the 2000s. The point of all these changes isn't just to save face. With every change, activists give themselves more latitude to justify all of their other political goals in the name of saving the environment. At the COP28 summit the other day, John Kerry pledged to uh, shut down all coal power plants anywhere in the world, except presumably China, which is constantly opening new coal plants every week, and which doesn't uh, remotely care what John Kerry says about anything. Now, John Kerry's plan would destroy the world economy. It would do precisely nothing to stop the climate from changing, because the climate is always going to change. But you're supposed to think that uh, it's a reasonable thing to do, because we're in a climate emergency. Everything's on the table. Hillary Clinton has been doing her part to sound the alarm about this fake emergency. Recently, she insisted that climate change is somehow killing people due to uh, extreme heat. And here's her claim. Listen. We're seeing uh, and beginning to pay attention and to count and record uh, the deaths that are related to climate. And by far, the biggest killer is extreme heat. I mean, even in Europe last summer, which uh, has the ability to count and figure out what happened, they recorded 61,000 deaths because of the heat in Europe. We don't have that kind of number yet from Africa, Asia, Latin America, but we know and estimate that we probably uh, could uh, measure about 500,000 deaths. And the majority of those are women and girls, and particularly pregnant women. Now, just as a factual matter, just you know, none of that is true. It's not even close. Extreme cold kills far more people than extreme heat. Just to give one data point, according to The Lancet, there were roughly 800 deaths due to heat in England and Wales between 2000 and 2019. By contrast, there were more than 60,000 deaths associated with extreme cold. And Forbes reports that in this country, quote, 
The CDC's National Center for Health Statistics Compressed Mortality Database, which is based on actual death certificates, indicates that roughly twice as many people die of cold in a given year than of heat. This is kind of obvious when you think about it. Someone, who, someone exposed to cold can develop hypothermia literally within minutes. Uh, in most cases, the heat will not affect you that quickly or at all. Even in like 90 degree temperatures, if you find a shady spot and have enough to water to drink, you can lay around outside all day and be perfectly fine. Actually, it'd be quite pleasant. But the point of what Hillary Clinton was saying wasn't really about extreme heat or extreme cold. Her goal is to convince you that a lot of people are dying due to the climate. Effectively, that's like saying a lot of people are dying due to the fact that they live on planet Earth, by the way. I mean, it's completely meaningless. Talking about deaths related to climate is like talking about deaths related to physical existence. It's, it's a category so broad as to be incoherent. But you're just supposed to buy into it and smile and wave as hordes of so-called climate refugees flood into this country, which is really what this is all about for her. Our public health establishment, meanwhile, wants to use climate change to explain away the next fake pandemic, which they can use to gain even more control over your life. Here's the TV expert, Dr. Peter Hotez, explaining that climate change could be responsible for the next COVID. Watch. Why are we seeing so many pandemics? It's one of the most common questions I've asked is it's a confluence of 21st century forces. Um, a big one is climate change, which is altering the migration of uh, animals that can transmit these uh, viral pathogens. Yes, we're experiencing pandemics. Good thing they didn't experience pandemics back, you know, historically. Like all those people during the Black Death. Uh, there's, so it, pandemics are a new thing because of climate change. Now, whatever your political affiliation, there's always a temptation to make arguments like this. Two decades ago, the establishment right made the same arguments about the war on terror. They told us that terrorism was an existential threat, and therefore we had to sign away our rights to FISA courts, which very soon would be used by the FBI to harass and imprison their political opponents. And now the left is using climate change in much the same way. It's an unkillable, ever-evolving enemy, and in order to combat it, we're told that we need to destroy everything that's important to civilization. To that end, the Department of Agriculture in Ireland recently considered a plan to kill 200,000 cows to reduce emissions. So they're thinking about literal animal sacrifice to save the climate. Even though, by the climate alarmist's own standards, by the way, Ireland barely emits any CO2 in the atmosphere at all in comparison to many other countries. Now, if there's any distinction between climate alarmists and most cultists, it's that you can only string most cultists along for so long. Historically, most cults at least most apocalyptic cults, disband once the cult predicts a doomsday and gives a specific date, then the date passes without any asteroid impact or anything like that. But the climate cult is different. They can make prediction after prediction, and even though they're all wrong, they get to keep making more predictions. They get to keep flying in private jets to climate conferences where they lecture us on how to behave, what cars to drive, what food to eat, what stoves to use, and so on. And in the meantime, the corporate press will defend them. Or Porter Fraxios uh, recently responding to criticism that um, all of these private jets might harm the environment, wrote this on social media, quote, to all those complaining about world leaders flying to attend a meeting on climate change, you're not saying anything original. Fact is, you can't do a Zoom call with 190 countries and face-to-face -face talks move the needle the most. The actual reporter never explains why a big Zoom call wouldn't be possible exactly. He also never explains why some of these world leaders can't fly on commercial planes. You're just supposed to accept it because ultimately they have the power and you don't. And that's the actual explanation. And a couple of years ago at another climate summit, John Kerry himself made that basically explicit. Watch. 
It's the only choice for somebody like me. The time it takes me to get somewhere. I can't sail across the ocean. I have to fly to meet with people and get things done. But what I'm doing almost full time is working to win the battle of climate change. It's the only choice for somebody like me, says John Kerry. Somebody like me. That's what it really comes down to. He's just too important to follow the rules that you're supposed to obey. That's because the rules really have nothing to do with the climate or with global warming or anything like that. The point of all the regulations is to establish that people like John Kerry and his friends are superior. It's a hierarchy that they are establishing. In the end, really, that's what all this has always been about. Now let's get to our five headlines. Balance of nature, fruits and veggies are a great way to make sure you're getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Balance of nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process to preserve the vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients of the fruits and vegetables they use. The capsules are whole food supplements with no additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in their capsule is pure fruits and vegetables. Balance of nature sent a bunch of their products down to the studio for my team to try. We all love them. With Balance of Nature, I get the nutrition of over 10 servings of fruits and vegetables in just a few easy-to-swallow capsules. This makes my crazy schedule so much more manageable. No matter what my day looks like, I start each morning with my Balance of Nature fruits and veggies. When you're disciplined enough to take care of your health, you reap all kinds of benefits. Your body will thank you. So go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Walsh for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com. Promo code Walsh for 35% off your first preferred order. We have an important report here from the Daily Wire. It says, trans-identifying people continue to have mental health issues even after transgender medical treatment, a new study out of Finland shows. Despite what advocates claim, many people who undergo transgender medical treatment continue to need significant psychiatric treatment afterwards, according to the peer-reviewed study conducted by three Finnish researchers. The study appeared last month in the journal European Psychiatry, which is published by Cambridge University Press. The researchers looked at 3,665 people who uh, contacted Finland's gender identity services between 1996 to 2019. The study says both before and after contacting uh, for services, they present with many more common psychiatric needs than do their matched population controls, even when medical gender reassignment interventions are carried out. Patients are coming in for transgender medical treatment at ever younger ages and with more psychiatric needs, the study said, and their psychiatric needs persist regardless of treatment. Adolescents and girls in particular are seeking out the treatments more often, the study noted. Researchers also noticed a marked increase in the gender dysphoric group's psychiatric needs over time. The most common psychiatric problem was severe mood disorders, which were more prevalent in the gender dysphoric group than the control group. The second most common problem was anxiety disorders, which were about the same for both groups. Autism was also more common among the gender dysphoric group. The study also found that people seeking transgender treatment now tend to have more psychiatric issues than the people who sought out treatment in the 90s and early 2000s. So obviously none of this is remotely surprising. It's what I've always said from the beginning, you know, that that there, uh, it's why I've said that there have not been very many reliable studies on the effects of quote-unquote gender-affirming care because all of this is so new. But even without those studies, we could know with absolute certainty that this kind of quote-unquote care is a horrible idea and will have a horrible impact on the patients or the victims, as they should be called. Um, we don't need the studies. We have common sense. Like, I, you know, I have read not one single study that measures the psychological impact of making your child sleep outside in the doghouse for a month. Um, 
I haven't seen any study, any studies on that. I, as far as I know, not one single study has ever proven that that would be a bad and harmful parenting strategy. But that's because we don't need studies on that. You don't need to study it. We just know intuitively that treating your child like a dog is a very bad thing. And it is a very horrific form of abuse. And your child will suffer because of it. Nobody in their right mind would say, well, I got to see a study on that. What do the studies say? Show me the data. Show me the data on that. Just as we know intuitively, or should know, that having your child castrated and sterilized is also a very horrific form of abuse that will cause all kinds of physical, emotional, and mental harm. The studies are irrelevant. We don't need the studies. But now that we actually have some studies, we can see all this borne out in the data, and, and here it is right in front of us. It turns out that when you take a confused child and you try to physically change him to conform to his delusions, you will not solve any of his psychological distress and delusions. Uh, you will not solve any of it. You'll just, in fact, create more distress, and that's all that's accomplished. Obviously. I mean, obviously. That part is not a revelation. And if it's a revelation to anyone, then, then that person is uh, extremely stupid, to say the least. Now, there are some interesting details here, though. In particular, I think the bit about how patients who come in for um, gender transitions have more psychiatric issues uh, today than the ones who came in for this kind of, quote-unquote, treatment in the 90s. So that's a little bit interesting, but also not surprising. Um, and I, I think it shows two things. First of all, in the 90s, the vast majority of people who were going in to get gender transitions were autogynephilic men pursuing a sexual fantasy. Um, they were obviously psychologically disturbed and had all kinds of mental problems, but this was one very specific category. And a lot of these guys uh, aren't even necessarily delusional in the clinical sense. Like they don't actually think that they are women. They are just aroused at the thought of being women. Again, that is, that's mentally disturbed and disturbing but it's not the same as a child who has been made to be actually deeply confused about the nature of reality and of himself, which is what you have today. Also on the same note, gender dysphoria has become a much broader category than it used to be. So you take all these other very broad categories like anxiety and depression and mood disorders, and uh, gender dysphoria is kind of built out of those pieces. People with anxiety or depression, and by the way, Every, you know, everyone struggles with, that's why I don't like the phrase, somebody has anxiety or has depression. Everyone struggles with, with both of those things. But um, somebody comes in and they're struggling with that, and then it's suggested to them that gender dysphoria may be the place where the anxiety and depression is coming from. So gender dysphoria has become like the answer key for solving the riddle of all these other issues. And that's why you're seeing more of it. But it's an answer that just causes more confusion, and it becomes a snowball effect, and that's what you have here. On a similar subject, since we're, since we're on the subject, um, is a, a viral video that's making the rounds that I want to I play here, because it's a great video in a lot of respects. Uh, this is a, a YouTuber, it appears, a, a man who is pretending to be a woman. And he's berating an employee at a pizza shop for a quote-unquote misgendering him. Let's watch that. You gotta look like a girl. I do not understand. You don't? 
Do I look like a boy or a girl? Him? Me. I think you're a boy. No, I'm a girl. Okay. Okay. What do you think you look like? Sorry. No. Just ugly. Okay. You help me out with this nice pizza? Here, you could actually have my pizza. Do you like those? Yes. He's so mean I'm not eating his pizza, so you should have it. Oh, yeah? Him, you enjoy your pizza. Thank you. Bye. Look at him, he's so mean. Do I look like a boy or girl? He's telling me I'm a man. Come on. No. It doesn't take I'm rocket man. science. I'm a man. He thinks it's funny. Right? It doesn't take rocket science to figure it out. No. Thank you. Enjoy your pizza. Bye. Bye. I'm just telling you, you have to be more respectful. Yeah, you are dumb. You're not embarrassed to be ignorant and rude? I am not good English. I don't buy that for a minute. <laughs> I think you speak English just fine, my love. Because you understood every other sentence we had. Great. Okay, bye. Educate yourself. You know, want the pizza. What? You know? I would never eat your pizza in a million years. You're so rude. How are you gonna tell me I'm a man in a purse and long hair and nails? You can't figure that out for yourself. Asking, well, what are your pronouns? What do you think my pronouns are? Take a guess. Take a guess. Well, what were the pronouns of the guy in the pizza shop? Now, I wanted that to keep going. That was great. And, and I, that guy is fantastic. I don't know who that guy is, uh, but I, I love the, uh, <laughs> he's, he's smiling while the trans dude is, you, it just hurts my feelings. Why would you say that? Can't you? And he goes, great. It's fantastic. It was just great. Um, and, you know, it, but the trans guy raises an interesting question. He says, well, how could I be a man? I have a purse. You know, no man could ever hold a, an object like this. How could I be a man? I have long hair. That's impossible. No man has ever had long hair before. I'm telling you, every time I see one of these videos, I pray. I pray. I actually pray to God. I pray for the day when one of these people will try to do this, to put this, put me on camera and try to put me on the spot like this. Do you think I look like a man? Uh, yes, you do. A weird, ugly man. Sure. I mean, yeah, weird and ugly, but you're still a man. Like, you're a strangely, strangely dressed man. You're a clown. You look like a clown. You look like a man clown is what you look like. You want me to keep going? Pray for the day. It probably will never happen for obvious reasons. But, um, but of course, you know, we could kind of laugh about this. For the dude working at the pizza shop, uh, th this is not really fun and games for him because the trans dude's trying to destroy his life, uh, trying to get him fired. Hopefully it didn't work. I don't know if there's any update on this story. I'm not sure. I'll have to look into it. But um, that's what he's trying to do. And he's very deliberate and transparent in the attempt. He, he sets the trap. And that's all these people do, right? That's all these people do is they just set traps. Their whole identity is designed their fake identity, is designed to just be a trap for other people to fall into. I mean, ma imagine living your life this way. Living your life and just walking into any situation and looking around it, it, just, with this trap set up, 
hoping that some random person you don't know who's just trying to make pizza will fall into it so that you can make a big thing and destroy their life. And I mean quite quite literally that for, for a lot of these people, that is a big part of why they're putting on the whole charade. Like for this dude, does he actually think he's a woman? Like, is there even gender dysphoria here? I, I think I doubt it. I don't even think he's confused. It's just a big show. It's a way of getting attention and it's a way of controlling and manipulating and harming other people. That's all he's interested in doing, which is why I have so little sympathy. I've always had so little sympathy because I've always seen this about these people. I mean, there, there are those who are actually, especially the kids, who are really confused because they've been made to be confused. But most of these people are not confused. This, this, just, this, just, this guy here, it's just a, he's just a bad person is all he is. He's a very bad person. A raging narcissist who only wants attention and wants to try to harm other people. So if you've always wondered why I have no sympathy, well, that's why. What Sympathy for what? The guy's a total scumbag. And that's all it is. And, you know, and that's why he actually asks the question, well, do I look like a boy or a girl? You know, first of all, if you're really confused and you actually think that you're a woman, uh, you wouldn't go around asking that question. Because, like, if you've bought into your, to the delusion, why are you even asking? And if you actually, you know, have you noticed something? The rest of us normal people, we don't go around doing that. Okay, I've never walked up to anybody ever and said, do I look like a man or a woman to you? I've never done that. Number one, because for a bunch of reasons. I'm not insane. At least not insane enough to do that. Uh, I know what I look like. I don't care how they perceive it. I don't need my identity validated by anyone ever. I, I just, I don't need that. I've never needed that. But you need it from everyone all the time. What does that tell you? So he asked the question, do you look like a boy? Do I look like a boy or a girl? And, and he gets an answer. Like, don't ask the question if you don't want an answer. You ask the question and, you, it, and the question you asked was, like, what do I look like? Well, that's, what do I look like to you? So you were asking him for his own perspective. So that's what you get. You're asking for someone else's perception, their subjective perception. Now, the pizza guy's subjective perception happens to be correct, but that's not even the point. It, it's his perception, right? It's like, even if his perception was wrong, if you go up to, if, if you'd gone up to him and, and said, what I look like to you, and he said, you look like a horse. If he had said that, well, I mean, he's not technically correct that you're a horse. I mean, he might look kind of like one, but but you're not actually a horse. But you asked him how, how he perceives you, and he, so he told you. If you don't want to know, don't ask. But this is the point, right? They want to control. This is, this is, this is the level of narcissism. It's, it's, it's why I've always said it's, it's narcissism that the world has never seen this level of narcissism before. It, you can't even conceptualize how narcissistic these people are. It's unbelievable. It's like literally unbelievable. They're so narcissistic. Okay. They want to control how you perceive the world. Your own perception, which you have in your own head, and you're not even, and it's just in your head. It's all it is. You haven't shared it with anyone. You haven't said anything. 
You're just going about your day. You have your perception of the world that's in your own head. And they come up to you unsolicited and say, tell me your perception of the world. And then you tell, nope, incorrect. Your life is destroyed now. What the, who, what kind of way is this to live? And again, it doesn't even matter. Like at that point, when you're asking someone, it's their perception. But they want to control that. So it's, it's not just, see, it's not just that they want to control what you say. They do want to control that. And it's not just that they want to control how you act, although they do want to control that too. They want to actually control your mind. They want to control how you think. Which is why it's actually not enough for these people to just have you say the pronouns. Because you could do that. But if they think that, if they get a whiff that you don't really believe it, then that sends them, uh, you know, that, that sets them. There was just an example a couple days ago of uh, some trans person appearing on Jimmy Fallon. And I don't remember, some celebrity. And Jimmy Fallon respects all the pronouns. Like, this guy is dressed all like a woman. It's not like the guy came out and Jimmy Fallon said, you're a man. Why, why are you a man pretending to be a woman? I mean, if Jimmy Fallon had done that, I, he would have a fan for life in me anyway. Um. <clears throat> You lose a lot of his other fans. I don't know if it's a good trade for him. But he didn't do that. He, he respected the pronouns, but there was a moment in the interview where Jimmy Fallon said, uh, called, said bud, just like casually, complimenting him. Say, oh, you, it's, you're great, bud, or something like that. And there's not, bud just means buddy, and anyone, buddy is a friend, and like that's not really gendered. Anyone can be a, a buddy. You could have a, a woman that's a buddy. But all the trans activists online, they sensed, like, even though that's not, it, it, he still respected the pronouns and all of that, and buddy technically could mean anything, could, could be man or woman, they sensed from that word that, 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 that there's something there that Jimmy Fallon might not actually perceive this person as a woman. Like, they, just from the tone and the word, they kind of, like, intuited yeah, he's saying all the right things, but he, but I think, but he might not actually believe it. And they were outraged because they they were concerned that they had not successfully changed the way that Jimmy Fallon actually thinks about the world, and they think they have the right to control. They think they have the right to control the way you think about the world and the, how you perceive the world. They have a right to control it. So that's the level of narcissism we're talking about here. It is. Uh, Almost leaves me speechless, but not all the way, because I can rant about it for 11 minutes and 44 seconds. Uh, let's see. We gotta, I've got to skip over a couple things, because we have to go right to uh, what was supposed to be the last story, which is very important to me. Uh, this is from AP, the AP. Oxford University Press has named Riz as its word of the year, highlighting the popularity of a term used by Generation Z to describe someone's ability to attract or seduce another person. It topped Swifty, which is an enthusiastic fan of Taylor Swift, Situationship, an informal romantic or sexual relationship, and Prompt, an instruction given to an artificial intelligence program. Well, that's not even a new word. Uh, it topped those in the annual decision by experts at the publisher of the multi-volume Oxford English Dictionary. The four finalists were selected by a public vote, and the winner was announced on Monday. 
Riz is believed to come from the middle of the word charisma and can be used as a verb, as in to riz up or chat someone up, publisher said. It speaks to how younger generations create spaces where they own and define the language they use. From activism to dating and wider culture, as Gen Z comes to have more impact on society, differences in perspectives and lifestyle play out in language too. Now, I'm only reading this because it highlights kind of this weird aspect of modern society, which is that um, our vocabularies are shrinking. Like the average vocabulary now is, is like 10 words. Okay, it's, it's almost, it's, it's just 10 words and grunts and pictures. Um, and so they have vocabulary shrinking, and yet we're inventing new words every year. So there's never been more words invented. And also there's never been fewer words known or used. And it's a very strange dichotomy. And I think it's because all of our new words are just variations of old words. So they're taking old words and they're shortening them or they're combining them. So it's like we're doing in English language what we've done to churches. You know, they go into old churches that used to be ornate and beautiful, and they intentionally make them crude and ugly. Um, or with modern art, people used to sculpt gorgeous, impressive figures out of stone or wood. And now they just plop a, a wood block down, and they call that art. In fact, I saw someone post a, a minimalist, they said it was a minimalist, arti- uh, like a minimalist artistic nativity set that was on sale somewhere. And it's just blocks of wood instead of Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds and wise men and everything. It's just, it's just the blocks of wood. So like the wood that they, in the past, they would have like carved into figures. Now it's just the wood. It's a, just the block. And uh, that's what we're doing with language. We're replacing distinct and beautiful words with blocks of wood. Riz. What the hell is that? Riz. I mean, ironically, if you use the word riz, then you have none. That's the irony of it. That's a word you use if you have the IQ and personality of uh, a barnacle. Like, what's wrong with just saying charisma? Why can't you just say that? Charisma is a good word. Charisma is a meaningful word. There's nothing wrong with that word. Just say charisma. Now, sure, it has three syllables. It takes slightly longer to say, but you can do it. I believe in you. You can you can manage to say charisma. It's not hard. You can say the whole thing. It's three syllables. You can actually say it. It's, it's, it takes like one millisecond longer. It's not like you're so busy that you have to shorten all the we shorten all the words now, or use pictures in place of like actual sentences. And and if you didn't know any better, you look around and you think, well, people are so busy they don't have any time to like communicate in full words and sentences. People are so busy. Like, no, they're not. What do they do? What's everyone doing? Not doing anything. We've never been less busy. Riz. I don't like it. You know, the other thing, too, is that there's this insistence now that younger generations need whole new vocabularies distinct from older generations. I mean, you heard Oxford English. They're, they're celebrating that. They're saying, oh, the Gen Z, they're, they're creating new spaces. Oh, shut up. First of all, not creating anything. They're just taking words that already exist, and they're making them uglier. And, um, and then, but then the, the effect is that eventually there's no shared cultural language anymore. Each generation has its own language. And I know you'll say it's always been that way. You know, younger kids have always used slang. But that's not really a thing. This is actually a modern phenomenon. Like if you were to go, uh, if you were a farmer in Pennsylvania in the year 19 or 1827, let's say, and you were 45 years old, you, you, you spoke the same way and used the same words as your 17-year-old son. 
There was slang, of course, but the slang was shared across generations. And, and everything was shared across generations. They had, a, they had actual, imagine this, historically, human beings across the, the world have had a shared culture that spanned generations. And so your grandparents, grandparent and grandchild would participate in the same culture together and understand each other. And um, that's the way that it used to be. And there wasn't this thing where every year the new crop of 17-year-olds invents 50 new slang terms so that nobody over the age of 25 can, you know, understand anything they're saying. So I'm opposed to it. I'm opposed to Riz and situationship. And, you know, kids today, and I'm not saying I'm opposed to slang, but all I'm saying is that kids today, you can use the same slang we used in the 90s. There was nothing wrong with it. Like, just we can stick with the same thing for a few decades at least, can't we? You don't need new ones. Our slang was fine. We used to say stuff like, uh, uh, talk to the hand, and the bomb, and uh, eat my shorts is the thing. I mean, we didn't really say that, but people on TV said that. Raise the roof, we used to say. Or at least our youth pastors used to say that to us when they were trying to relate to us. But there was still, it was the slang, and it was fine. And we don't need any of this. So it has been stated. Let's get to the, uh, was Walsh wrong? You know, in a world filled with uncertainties, you need to be prepared for any possibility. You need My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is your trusted partner for emergency preparedness, whether it's a natural disaster, a sudden emergency, or unforeseen circumstances. My Patriot Supply's high-quality food storage, storage solutions ensure that you and your loved ones are always well-fed no matter what comes your way. Right now, when you go to preparewithwalsh.com, you can save $200 off their best-selling three-month emergency food kit. This kit is even customizable with options like their ultimate breakfast kit, a mega protein kit with real meat, and even a gluten-free kit. Your three-month emergency food supply provides over 2,000 calories each day for optimal strength and energy in stressful situations. Don't wait for disaster to strike before taking action. Invest in your safety and well-being by securing your food storage today. Go to preparewithwalsh.com to get $200 off your three-month food supply today. That's preparewithwalsh.com. Okay, a couple of comments here. Uh, First one says, I have a son with autism and intellectual disability. He was violent for many years, mostly towards me and his dad. We spent years trying to get help. We begged, tried all manner of medicines, all the strategies, and nothing helped. This could have been my story. Thankfully, we're still together as a family, and I work full-time caring for my son. If you haven't lived it, you couldn't possibly understand. We love our kids just like you do. It's the same fierce and protective love. Uh, We homeschool him for his safety and the safety of others, even though we consistently are advised to put him in school with the experts. We made trips to the ER and begged for help, and people wanted to help, but they didn't have anything to offer us. It's extremely traumatic to live with a violent child, and then to find uh, that facilities have wait lists, IQ minimums, deplorable conditions and no solutions. Undoubtedly, someone needs to help this adult with special needs. Is prison really the only answer? Uh, Another comment from William says, uh, okay, Matt, I tend to be on your side of the fence on just about every issue. The story about the autistic kid hits me different. I've worked side by side as a behavior specialist for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Most of that work has been done with autistic adults. So although I agree that uh, that because he's already done the crime and just letting him off the hook is absolutely not acceptable, Neither is prison, and unfortunately, he will either get himself killed or kill himself in prison. 
the system has failed this man. If he had got the right life skills and care that he needed, then he would have learned other ways to channel his aggression. There should be locked facilities for these individuals that are also trained on the proper ways of work, uh, of, uh, of working with autistic individuals. The biggest difference between him and someone with autism is he didn't choose to be autistic, someone without autism rather, is he didn't choose to be autistic and honestly in that moment was not making a choice. His body just reacted. Kevin says, Matt, I'd agree that having a hard life is not an excuse for violence, but in the spirit of Matthew 5:38 through 39, perhaps understanding mental illness is warranted. This mom mentions a violation of her child's IEP, which means the school is fully aware of his needs and the risks of working with him. I don't expect the victim to understand that, but to basically tell the world that the mercy and understanding that Christ would have would have us model as a bad thing really makes me question your reasoning. The school uh, should be held accountable. Community should be held accountable. Mental health problems are real, and without proper funding, worse things will happen. Or maybe you think we should just lock them all up or maybe kill them like the Nazis. Okay. First of all, I believe in mercy um, as a Christian. My point is that our mercy should be directed first and foremost at the innocent. And when you have uh, mercy on violent, dangerous people, that mercy means that you are putting innocent people in danger. That's what it means. If by mercy you're saying that we should not lock these people away, if that's what you mean by mercy, um, if by mercy you mean treating them with dignity and humanity, even while segregating them from society due to the fact that they're dangerous. Sure, I agree with you there. But if, if you're advocating for mercy, that means that this person is not locked away. Well, then your mercy uh, will, will, will translate into a lack of mercy for uh, innocent people. So the second point is that I never said this guy should go to prison for 30 years. You know, he needs to be locked away. This is someone six foot, six inches tall, you know, and reacted to getting his Nintendo Switch taken away or whatever by attempting to beat a woman to death and wailing on her even when she's on the ground, you know, kicking and everything. Well, this is someone who's a danger to society and cannot be trusted in society. That's why I say, again, to not lock that person away, to have mercy in that sense, would be cruelty to the next person that he inflicts himself on. And, and we all know that that next person, there will be a next person. We all know that. And so you can't get around that. You could talk about your, your wonderful mercy for this person, but you have to face the fact and be intellectually honest that what you are advocating is that other people should be put in danger for the sake of being nice and merciful to this man with autism. That is what you are saying. And what I'm saying is no. It's a hard choice either way. You got to make hard choices in life. Locking somebody away who has autism and they're dangerous is not, I'm not saying it's a, it's a fun thing that anybody wants to do. But you got to make a hard choice either way. And at least I'm admitting that it's a hard choice. Like I'm admitting that, yeah, you lock someone away like that. That's, it's, it's, it's an ugly thing. It's terrible. It's terrible. I admit that. But the, the alternative is untenable, intolerable, unacceptable. 
the people on the other side of this, to me, like they're not honest about it. They don't, they don't, they're not honest about what the choice actually is. And they paint it as though, well, we could do the ugly, terrible thing and put this person away, or we could do the nice thing and 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 you know let them free. But that's also an ugly and terrible thing because of what it will mean, because of what will happen as a result. And the second point is again, uh, you know, I yeah, I as I was saying, I don't I never said that he should go to prison for 30 years. Uh I said he needs to be removed away, removed from society, segregated from society. And if we had asylums and institutions like we used to, then I would say that he should go there. This is why we should have asylums. This is why we should have, you know, institutions for the criminally insane, um, as we used to. And we largely don't anymore. And if we had those kinds of institutions, then I would say, yeah, someone who has mental, uh, mental illnesses that contribute to them becoming dangerously violent, you know, they would be a candidate for a place like that, which is not technically a prison, but it still is um, protecting society. If we don't have those institutions, then prison becomes the only option. Because then it's like prison or unleash this individual back into the community. And that is, it just, you, we can't. You can't do it. Um, that's my, my position. Well, I've got a holiday gift idea that's sure to make you the hero of the season. Now, we all know the holidays can be a bit hectic, the shopping, the cooking, the never-ending list of things for my wife to do. But fear not, because I've discovered a gift that's not just thoughtful, it's downright transformative. The gift of GenuCell skincare. From now until Christmas, GenuCell's most popular package has a special discount just for my listeners at GenuCell.com Walsh. Treat yourself and your loved ones to the absolute best skincare in the world. Those troubling forehead wrinkles, fine lines, skin redness, and yes, even a sagging jawline would disappear right before your eyes with GenuCell's most popular collection. GenuCell promises immediate effects. You'll see results in less than 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. You know, GenuCell sent out a ton of products for the entire office. Can't even put into words how much better their faces look because of GenuCell. They're still disgusting, but slightly less so. It's like Christmas came early for me. You deserve to look and feel your best this holiday season. So go to GenuCell.com Walsh to get this incredible holiday discount. Every order today is instantly upgraded to free express shipping. That's GenuCell.com Walsh today. We made our first ever full feature comedy, Lady Ballers, for you, a hilarious movie that calls out what most Americans already know, the not-so-funny fact that men can absolutely dominate female sports, and you made the movie a hit. It's official. Lady Ballers is now the most popular streaming movie on Rotten Tomatoes with an incredible audience score of 97% and thousands of reviews. Lady Ballers is also one of the most popular movies on IMDb. We didn't just want you to see it. We wanted you to love it. We want you to share it with your friends and family over the holidays. If you haven't watched the most triggering comedy of the decade, what are you waiting for? Lady Ballers is streaming now exclusively on Daily Wire+. Plus. Maybe you still don't have a Daily Wire Plus membership. Well, let us help you out with that one right now. Because right now, you get $50 off Daily Wire Plus annual subscriptions with code COACH at dailywire.com slash subscribe. With your Daily Wire Plus annual membership, you'll instantly have access to watch our very first comedy, Lady Ballers. But we're just getting started with comedy at Daily Wire. Our new animated comedy series from Adam Carolla, Mr. Burcham, is coming early 2024. And you'll be the first to see it with your uh, Daily Wire Plus annual membership. Not in the mood for comedy? Well, The Daily Wire's highly anticipated series, The Pendragon Cycle, inspired by the renowned works of acclaimed Christian novelist Stephen R. Lawhead, is also coming uh, in 2024. We're bringing one of the most timeless stories of all time with a re- unique retelling of the Arthurian legend. But most importantly, 
It's your chance to join us in the battle to take back culture and build a future we all want to see. Get $50 off your Daily Wire Plus annual subscription with code COACH at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we have a man named James Causey who writes for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And he uh, has just written a column apparently so poignant and powerful that it was reprinted by USA Today and Yahoo News. This article contains a startling revelation. You aren't going to believe this, but James Causey is a black journalist who says that he has been the victim of racism. I know it's shocking to hear a journalist claim that he's been the victim of racism. It's been at least 27 minutes since the last time a journalist whined about racism. So this is this is not something that happens very often at all. Uh, Causey's diatribe has this title, I'm warned from years of racial slurs, but I'll no longer be silent about bigotry. Now, in the article, Causey paints a bleak picture. Despite being an obscure columnist writing for a regional newspaper, he apparently gets tons of hate mail. He is a lightning rod for controversy. And he, and he complains, uh, much of the hate mail is racist. So going back 15 years to when he first started his column, he recounts this story. Quote, as you might imagine, readers reacted to my writing. We get emails and sometimes phone calls, but it was still a time when we'd regularly get letters in the mail, usually handwritten, sometimes typed out. Most were positive. A few were uncomplimentary. But one stood out after I wrote a piece critical of Milwaukee Public Schools' poor reading scores and the lack of urgency to change it. It was the first time I'd opened a letter to see myself called the N-word. It wasn't the first time being called that in my life, of course, but there was something about it, something, something that word, seeing that word written down and used so readily in, in others that followed. Black parents were lazy N-words, and I was called an enabling N-word for not calling out the lazy N-words. It cut me like a knife. Fifteen years later, it still angers me. After years of staying silent about the pain that it caused, and from the other slurs that fall to this day, I came to a realization. This behavior cannot and should not be tolerated. So a decade and a half later, and this grown man claims to be actively in pain, traumatized from one alleged letter with some bad words 15 years ago. Now I have to assert the word, insert the word alleged here because there's no reason to take him at his word on any of this. And there's plenty of common sense reasons to doubt much of it. He continues claiming that this one racist letter was only the tip of the iceberg. And soon he was buried under an avalanche of racist hatred, all being uh, targeted for some reason at some guy who writes a column that nobody reads for a newspaper nobody reads. Quote, I put the letter in my desk drawer and didn't tell anyone about it for weeks. A similar letter followed and another and a hundred others, all littered with the same inflammatory language African-Americans have been called for hundreds of years. Sometimes they were mailed to my house, which freaked me out and scared my wife. He then gives some examples of the things that people have allegedly said to him. Reading those examples verbatim, quote, when did the paper start hiring racial slur that starts with C? If you hate it here so much, why don't you return to Africa and swing from a tree? I'll pay for your one-way ticket. The only thing worse than an N-word is another N-word. In my years as a columnist, not much changed, he continues just the means of delivery. Sometimes the hatred comes in via voicemail, but usually it's email. Now, if these all sound like kind of a, the, the sort of like the generic racist statements that people committing race hoaxes always make up, well then draw whatever conclusions you like. Um, I can't say with certainty that he's making it up, only that it sounds made up. And then there's this strange anecdote. A few months ago, I received an old school mailed letter with a cutout copy of my column 
on the annual daddy-daughter dance. I talked about the great times I had with my daughter at this event until she aged out. The sender, presumably a subscriber since it was a paper copy, crossed out the word black, replacing it with the N-word repeatedly. Okay, so he's claiming that some racist attacked him after he wrote a column recounting his experience at a daddy-daughter dance. And he says that this person uh, took the time to cross out the word black wherever it appeared in the column and replace it with the N-word. Well, here's the curious thing. I read the column, which he links to, the daddy-daughter column. The word black does not appear at all in the column. So he says that the unknown racist crossed out the word black and replaced it with the N-word, except that the word black is absent from the article. So there's a slight logistical problem here, but we're not going to linger on it. He goes on, ask any black journalist if they have a similar story. I'll bet the answer is yes. We don't discuss it, but it's time to change that. If anything, the hatred has become more overt. Remember the Milwaukee TV reporter called the N-word at Country Thunder last summer? It's become more persistent. And thanks to social media, easier, easier to spew from the shadows. Now, I actually do remember that story about the Milwaukee TV reporter. Uh, Taylor Lumpkin was her name, and she went to cover some kind of country music festival. And later that night, she tweeted this, quote, went to cover this event tonight for a news story, left humiliated after a guy ran up and yelled at me unprovoked and called me an N-word twice. No one helped. Everybody stared at me and laughed. Do better, people. Now, the odd thing is that Lumpkin was there as a TV reporter with a TV crew, and yet nobody caught this racist attack on camera. There's no video. There are no photos. And this happened twice. So this person came up and ran and said this. Nobody turned the camera on. And then he came again, and no one turned the camera on. Amazing. As far as I could tell, no witnesses ever came forward. So Lumpkin made this claim, never said another word about it publicly. There was no follow-up. And then, as Causey recounts later in this column, she quit her job and left the industry to focus on her, quote, mental health. It's all very strange indeed. And by very strange, I mean that it obviously sounds completely made up. Reading on a bit more, quote, I've long kept the scale of the racist hatred I received to myself, often not telling my editors about it. But I've come to realize how corrosive that is. Picture an old house weathered by decades of rain, snow, hail, and other harsh elements. You don't notice the changes month to month or even year to year. But when you look at an old photo, you realize how worn it has become. It's like that for me. I have become weathered and worn. I am tired. Now, this article goes on like this and on and on and on. It is one extremely lengthy and tedious Jeremiah about all the persecution he's faced as a black newspaper columnist in America in the 21st century. And the theme that he re returns to again and again is that he is tired. He's exhausted. He's worn down. He's like a man returning home from the trenches in World War I, shell-shocked, traumatized. You cannot imagine the things he's seen, what he's been through, the emails that he's read. Oh, the emails. So many emails. Now, we're not going to harp on the fact that so much of the racism he recounts sounds totally fabricated. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's probably the most salient point about all of this, but we'll move past it in order to make one other point. And the point is this. As someone who, myself, who certainly gets an order of magnitude more negative feedback than this guy, I can say that the cliche is true. Words only have the power that you give them. And people like James Causey have given a word like the N-word an enormous amount of power. Not just James Causey, 
Our whole society has turned this word into something, something more than a word. It is like some kind of witch's curse. It's a magical spell. It is a collection of syllables so unspeakably awful that they cannot be uttered in any context, unless they're being uttered by black people, in which case the word can be said 500 times in every sentence and it's totally fine. So the word is either utterly banal and totally meaningless or a mystical incantation that holds evil sorcerer-like powers, which is all completely incoherent, of course. But putting aside the inconsistency in, uh, in, in this, uh, in the way that the word is viewed and used, the power it has been given is, is also absolutely arbitrary and contrived. So James Causey says that he read the word once in, in a piece of hate mail 15 years ago, and it still haunts him to this day. Like, I could not recite verbatim hate mail I received 15 minutes ago. There's too much of it, and it's all far too meaningless to me. Now, every once in a while, I get something that's unusually vile and disgusting, even by current standards. And sometimes I get threats that you know have to be reported to law enforcement. But there is a, certainly, you know, there's, there's no word or insult that I could ever read or hear from a critic that would haunt my dreams for years. And that's because I don't give my critics that kind of power. Guys like Causey are the ones who have given power to these racial slurs, but only certain racial slurs, of course. Now, I don't really believe that Kazi has been lying awake at night in tears over bad words that people have said to him, but that's the picture he's painting, and all it does is give much greater weight and impact to the very word that he claims to despise. So if you really want people to stop using the N-word, and you claim that people are using it all the time, the best thing you could do is ignore it. Stop talking about it. Stop panicking over it. Certainly don't write a 15,000-word lamentation about the pain that the word causes you. When you do that, it advertises to your critics that they can easily make you crumple into a little ball and sob uncontrollably like a child just by uttering one simple two-syllable word in your presence. So it's like if the Wicked Witch of the West said to Dorothy, no, please don't grab that bucket of water over there and dump it on me. Of all the things you could do, definitely don't do that one thing. Don't do that. Why are you doing it? I told you not to. In fact, come to think of it, that's what you say if you want someone to do the thing you say you don't want them to do. So it's almost as if the James Causeys of the world give so much publicity and power to the N-word because they want people to say it. He wants to get the emails. He wants to keep the victimhood train going. It's almost as if this is the most obvious reverse psychology tactic imaginable. Almost as if. Or exactly as if. I think we've just discovered why the left makes such a big deal out of that word. And we've also discovered why James Causey is today, very certainly, canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.